stars at night are big and bright Deep in the heart of Texas The prairie sky is wide and high Deep in the heart of Texas. Hello, welcome to the Quarter 3 Games Podcast for mid-November 2016. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not uh, Watch Dogs 2. And this is Olaf, and my game of the week is not Quake. Wow, there's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, Olaf, do you know why I would play that song for you? <laughs> I liked it, uh, but yes, I, I have a... I have a, a hint that it's because I'm from Texas. Now, I actually am – based on a couple of things that were said before we started recording, I'm kind of skeptical about you being a Texan for two reasons. First of all, you were not born there. You were an import. Yep, that's true. So uh, you have just as much a claim to being a Missourian? Is that what you were you said? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, in St. Louis until uh, until about age four, and uh, my parents moved us down to Houston. So that might be why you don't have some crazy Texas accent. I, although, do people think you have a Texas accent? Uh, you know, I always thought they did. Uh, I, you know, a long time ago, uh, just saying ain't was uh, – uh, that was like a – thing that that only texas did but now it seems like that's sort of gotten a lot a lot more spread um but yeah i when i would uh, the aforementioned families we would occasionally have these family reunions and they would always comment and you know i'd ask them for things like beef jerky and they'd look at me funny wait why would they look at you funny if you wanted beef jerky they didn't they didn't have those sorts of things up north who doesn't have beef jerky? That's crazy! <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, the places, the play, they they were they were thrown off by that. Uh, so yeah, maybe you did. I just don't hear it so much, and it might just be my ear. Uh, here is where I have more of a claim to being a Texan than you do, Olaf. I was born in Texas. All right. Like you, though, we we moved away when I was about four or so. I wasn't there for very long. Probably even earlier than four. Well, you don't have a Texas accent. Good Lord, no, I don't. I don't even have an Arkansas accent because that's where we – my folks moved around a lot. Eventually, they were divorced. I didn't end up back in Arkansas until like fourth grade. So unfortunately, I never developed the accent. But I love hearing it. I love a thick Texas accent. I love me an Arkansas accent, uh, and I, I wish I had one. And I was hoping when you and I talked that you were going to have some sort of a thick drawl, but you don't. <laughs> I wish I did. Yeah. Uh, here's the other reason I'm skeptical of you being an actual Texan. Where in Texas do you live? I live in San Antonio right now. Oh, okay, good, good. Because for a minute I thought you were going to say you lived in Austin, and Austin is not Texas as we all know. I, I did have the misfortune of living in Austin for about five or six years. And you called it misfortune. What's I, wrong with Austin? I, I would think – yeah, what's wrong with Austin? Well, so I was there from 91 to 97, and um, – and was part it was, of this it, when you were at UT Austin? Was it part of your college? Yeah, yeah. This was okay. this was college, and and actually it was a lot better then. But but you could kind of see where things were headed. Um, the infrastructure of the city is just it's it's built for a town that's about twenty percent of this population. It is so. Um, you know, I I don't really have a, a traffic concept to compare it to like LA or or the DC area. You know, these places you hear that are nationally terrible for traffic uh but coming from houston which uh, you know is a giant sprawling city it's way worse than than houston in my opinion it's obviously much smaller 
but it just seems like there's cars on the road all the time. And, and that is one thing I, I just can't. Sure. I just don't deal with well as traffic. I, mean, I you thought know, maybe you meant sort of the progressive and more. That, like, that's what I was going to segue to. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's just uh, very much a different vibe than even uh, the other big cities in Texas, which are which are really trending blue. I mean, uh, San Antonio is definitely majority Democrat. Houston is is definitely majority Democrat. Um, I'm not exactly sure about Fort Worth and Dallas. I think they're a little bit more conservative, but uh, you know, Austin is more along the lines of, of of kind of a San Francisco or a Portland imported into Texas. Now, uh, so folks who would know you from the forum, one of the one of the signature things about you, Olaf, uh, I think that you're a Texan. A lot of folks know that. Uh, also, you're that you're conservative. So, is this something that you've been like you mentioned? being uncomfortable with how progressive Austin was back in the 90s. Uh, have you always been as conservative as you are now, or has that changed over the course of your life very much? You know, I think I was actually more conservative as a younger person. I, uh, I, but, but perhaps it was just a culture shock of, of coming from suburban Houston and going to Austin. Uh, there's a part of Austin on, on the campus of UT called the West Mall, and that's kind of where all the various nut job groups get, you know, you can sign up and you get an, a microphone and you can talk about your causes. And it was just crazy to me, like the things that these people, you know, believed in and were passionate about and were just super foreign to me. I wasn't in like uh, the young conservatives of Texas or college Republicans, but I did think about it. Right. Um, I would occasionally write angry letters to the Daily Texan. Ah, oh, about what I, kinds of things? Oh, just I, I don't even know. You know, I, okay. I, I, but I, I got a few of them published, and I mean, which is of course no no big feat, but you know, still. You no, know, I yay. can imagine being very proud. I mean, you, sure, you write sure. a letter so, like that, you don't know if it's just going to disappear into the ether, and it shows up in the paper. That's awesome. Yeah, and and I I thought that they would have everything thing online by now, but I I looked I don't know a few years ago, and I couldn't find anything. So. I don't know because I, you know, I think there was some death penalty stuff in there. There may have been some. Uh, uh, I wasn't a big gun guy back then, believe it or not. I uh, I wasn't wasn't raised with guns. Um, wasn't a giant Second Amendment person mm-hmm. until really relatively recently, probably the last. I don't know, 10, 12 years. Okay. Um, now, before we segue into that, I just want to get more of a, of a sense. So so you live in Texas. Uh, you're pretty much raised there. Uh, you work in IT. You mentioned before you are a computer geek like the rest of us, and that's something you came to through playing computer games, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you mentioned earlier, uh, those of us of a certain age know about computers from having to mess around with config sys files and auto exec bat and stuff. Do you think we – as PC gamers had it easier back then or today? Um, I think it's definitely easier now. Um, I I mean, and just speaking from my own personal experience, I can't – I mean, you know, the worst thing I've had to do in recent memory to get a game functioning is is download, you know, the latest video card drivers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, you know, there's still bugs and – Depending on the publisher, um, they're going to be more or less of them at release, and you know some people, you know, blame pre-orders and things like that for that. But but I think it's definitely easier now. I mean, I remember, um, uh, 
you know, and just cost, right? Like I remember upgrading RAM, and I think I went from sure. four, from four to eight, <laughs> and and uh, you know, f- four to eight megs, and it was like four hundred dollars, something like that. Right, right. Crazy. I guess part of why I ask, and part of my thinking is that I. I had a sense back then when I knew how to edit a config system on an autoexec bat file that I had more control over what was going wrong and how to fix it. And I knew more about the, for lack of a better word, guts of these sort of technical issues. Nowadays, it's completely inscrutable to me. You know, a driver works or it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, there's nothing I can do except wait for him to fix it. Uh, so I guess I feel more out of control these days. Uh, and also because of – I don't know how much you're into console gaming, but because of my experience with console gaming, it's super conspicuous to me when something on the PC doesn't work. Like consoles have really spoiled me for you put the disc in and you're going to have zero problems. Uh, so I, I just think these days, like when I have a PC issue, A, it just feels out of sorts with what I expect on a console, and B – it's beyond my ken. I have no idea. I, I wouldn't begin to know how to to address those sorts of issues. Uh, I, I do own a P, PS4 and an Xbox One, but they were both really not good purchases. I haven't – I really haven't used them at all. I think on my Xbox One, I've played two or three games, and on the PS4, maybe two. Well, um, but how do you watch your Blu-rays? Uh, I, I Primarily a PS3. I've got a PS3 in our bedroom. That's usually where we watch movies. The PS4 is in the living room, but but yeah, I watch them that way. All right. So you are kind of you do use. I guess you're not a console gamer, but you do use your console. <laughs> I'm glad to hear I, that it gets some use. I do. I do. Uh, I am fascinated by the fact that you had to talk your wife out of games like Candy Crush that had uh, microtransactions and stuff. Explain how you did that. Well, I mean, I. Like she, she finds this Candy Crush. It's super easy, super accessible. It has that sort of psychological hook. Uh, I think we all understand it, even though some of us are more immune than others. What happens when your wife is like, "Hey, look at this. This is cool. Best value, forty nine ninety nine. I'm gonna get this." <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it sort of the look in her eye. Sort of, I imagined some. She almost had that that one more turn, civilization <laughs> style. You know, it's three a.m. I know I need to go to bed, but I've got to beat this level right because you know my friend who's my facebook friend but i really don't like this bitch she's two levels above me and (laughs) it's killing me and i you know she they they had a mechanic i I was not a candy crush person but just watching her play it for you know hours over the course of uh it's been a while since she's played one of those games but she she was into them heavily you know, they, they could beg for lives or something or from their friends on Facebook. They had some kind of a, a social media hook. But, but at the end of the day, if you ran out of lives or whatever the currency was to restart a game, you had to pay for it or you had to wait, you know, on, on, a, on a timer. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I just was like, you know, where does this end? If, you, if you're going to buy, a, a, you know, a level here, you're going to want to buy the next one. And thankfully, we never went down that road. But but she was she was pretty heartbroken when when I was when I was against it. And is she over that now? Is she? She is. She. I. I don't. I don't know the last mobile game she's played. Um, she's she's more into uh, snap. 
not Snapchat, but like Instagram and, and of course, still on Facebook. Just general social media stuff instead yeah, of games with yeah. microtransactions. Right, right. Nice. Uh, you mentioned of the shows that you guys watch, one that I don't know much about, but you said you really like. What is the deal with this? I think is it is it on Fox uh, or NBC? Lucifer? Lucifer. It's on Fox. Okay, and it's like the devil comes to Los Angeles? Is that the idea? It is, and it, it's based on a on a DC comic. I think oh. it's very very loosely based, okay. but uh, but it's based on a comic, and it's um, it, it's pretty cheesy. But I find the 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 actor that plays Lucifer to be very charismatic, mm-hmm. and so we both just like the show. Uh, the premise is that the devil got tired of being in hell and took a vacation to go to L.A. and he's not. You know, the classical biblical Christian devil where he's evil. He's actually he's got, a, he's got a, a, a very strong sense of right and wrong and enjoys seeing people punished. Uh, but, but he was kind of put in hell by his father, God, and he, and he kind of resented it over the eons. Um, and as the show goes on, they introduce uh, – he's got, he's got some family members that are, that are other angels. He's got a mother actually who uh, – God actually put in hell for for uh, some uh, the reason escapes me now. But the, the story has kind of a a continuous arc that that goes from season to season. But it, but each uh, you know each episode uh, he's he's hooked into uh, a detective on the police force in L.A. and he he's he's a consultant for the Los Angeles Police Department. And there's sort of some sex. She's an attractive female, of course, and there's some sexual tension there. And she's got an ex-husband on the force, and uh, the devil doesn't get along with this guy well. But it's uh, it's a it's perhaps an acquired taste. The Metacritic now, on the, it is terrible, but I okay. enjoy it. Now, it the devil is fighting crime in Los Angeles. Is that what you're telling me, Olaf? Yes, <laughs> he's 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 very effective at it. He's got he's got some superpowers, being the devil. Uh, but curiously, his powers don't work when this detective female is in his proximity, and that hasn't been revealed yet. Uh, why I, that is? Can I make a guess and spoil it? Yeah, she's like the like the re- return of Jesus or something. I, uh, I, I don't know what and it's going to be. But yeah, I don't want to. Now you may never find out, Olaf, because didn't you tell me it's not doing super well in the ratings, and you're bracing yourself to hear? Oh, Lucifer's canceled. Yeah, I was surprised it got a second season. I, why would you put yourself into that situation? Like, I, I, TV is such an investment for me, and I get so sucked into it. Even I still watch shows that I hate. I'm still watching Walking Dead, and you you laid out for me earlier why I shouldn't be watching. It's terrible. Walking Dead is awful. Um, but I I could not imagine being just cut off cold of a show I was into because it got canceled. So I'm super reluctant to watch any show that's not doing well. Real quick, do you watch The Leftovers? I do not because of a fellow named Damon Lindelof. Isn't he one of the creative uh, fellows behind it? Is he a dude from The Lost? He is a dude from Lost. He has written scripts. I think he's awful. And I'm just being halfway facetious. Leftover might be good in spite of my thing about Lindelof. But no, I've not seen Leftovers. Uh, I've heard that it's gotten better. I love it. I think it's amazing. But that is a show that they are they are canceling. But but they've but, but they basically gave him a you know a season to wrap things up. Right. right. So it's going to be canceled after the third season. Uh, I think it's a fantastic show. I think that uh, 
Justin Thoreau is is a, just oh. an amazingly talented dude, and yeah, I, I like him. Yeah. Didn't know who he was before watching the show. I mean, I had never seen anything he acted in. I didn't know he was married to uh, Jennifer Aniston. I didn't know he had, you know, writing chops. Um, but he's a great actor, and that that shows definitely worth your time. Uh, you know, maybe catch it when when all three seasons have been in in the can. I know Justin Thoreau from uh, an Olaf. I have no shame about this. I love 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 the Charlie's Angels movies. And he's the villain in, I think, the second one in Full Throttle. And he's got a kind of all-out fight scene with, I believe it's Drew Barrymore, uh, where they're they're pretty harsh with each other. There's like some punching and a little blood. And uh, so, yeah, I know Justin Thoreau from okay. uh, Charlie's Angels movie. Yeah. Uh, so you uh, you also said you're you're slipping now into the quagmire of reality TV. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tried to blame your wife, but... Uh, well, it's definitely her fault. But uh-huh. I, guess it's, uh, <laughs> I guess it's my fault, too. Uh, she's a giant Bravo person, and anybody that knows about Bravo, is, you know that's a channel you want to turn off. But, yeah, slowly I've acquired... Uh, uh, we watch Vanderpump Rules together. It's sort of embarrassing to say. But... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's it's a fascinating show. The, pe- the I don't like a single character on the show. Like they're all idiots. They're as shallow as people can be, and yet I cannot look away. I I really enjoy it. I think that is the appeal of reality TV, though. Is there's this sense that these people are horrible either for reasons that they're doing reprehensible things or that they're idiots. Uh, but I think people watch because they're kind of fascinated by idiots maybe i don't don't know uh i haven't followed any reality tv so i don't really know this stuff but i'm not surprised to hear like i I love watching like youtube videos of people doing dumb things i find that hilarious (laughs) and a whole show about that sure i can understand the appeal yeah now this would be a good segue into what i want to talk to which is particularly uh trenchant right now about the election uh, you said you've also seen uh, Trump's reality show, Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> I had I, – we actually watched uh, uh, at least – I don't know if it was two seasons, but I saw the season that Geraldo was on there. Now, explain to me because I've never seen an apprentice. I don't know. What is this show? Like people come to Donald Trump and they say, I have a business idea, and he decides which one is good and he fires everyone else? Is that pretty much it? Okay, so the premise is they assemble a cast of perhaps 12 to 16 uh, former celebrities, uh, former athletes, you know, fringe comics, just, you know, people that need work. Mm-hmm. And they, they form into teams, and each week, uh, Donald Trump and his family, you know, the Ivanka and Eric and I think the other one, Don Jr., is a part of the show. They give them challenges like um, go and market this new flavor of Snapple, and whoever sells the most Snapple, we're going to donate twenty five thousand dollars to the charity of your choice. And they elect uh, a captain for each team for each week. So, like one one re- one week, it might be Geraldo on one team and then uh, there's somebody else on the other team Mm -hmm. and they're sort of the chief executive of the mission, whatever the mission is. 
and the show shows you what these people are doing to facilitate whatever the challenge is. Um, and then, yes, at the end, one team wins and one team loses, and the losing team sits in uh, sort of the boardroom with Donald Trump, and that's where he has his, you know, so-and-so, you're fired. Is he, is he the sole arbiter? Like he just decides which – He is he he's absolutely the sole arbiter. He listens. He, he, he asks them. So like, you know, why, what, it, what went wrong? You know, and, and sometimes people just get thrown under the bus, you know, like uh, Terrell, uh, Terrell Owens was on there. You know, T.O. just didn't he, didn't – he didn't get any donations. Everybody else got $10,000. He didn't get any. Um, and sometimes that works, and, and Donald Trump is like, hey, you know, you're fired. But generally speaking, the losing captain gets fired. Now, if I, uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious you're conservative. I'm, I'm very much a West Coast liberal. We obviously had very different perspectives on the election. If I have an idea of who Donald Trump is from watching him campaign, would watching him on Celebrity Apprentice – show me another side of him or does it pretty much is this the same guy that was campaigning um <laughs> I, I don't think it would show you another side of him no okay like yeah no i don't think so well then let, let's talk about the election then first of all okay. tell me about your election night i think a lot of people are, are uh everybody knows how it went for those of us actually for basically the the media for for democrats for for liberals uh it was an amazing night on good and bad levels for various people. Describe for me your evening of November 8th. Okay, so I was sure he's going to win. You were. I was. But ah, that, being, okay. that being said, uh-huh. I'm always sure of my guy. I, I was wrong in 92. I was wrong in 96. I was wrong in 08. I was wrong in, in 12. <laughs> You've got quite the track record, Olaf. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I, you know, I was right in 2000. <laughs> I was right in 2004. <laughs> so I'm, I'm three for four now, I guess. Okay. Um, and, and so but, – but I was nervous. I, I was very nervous. But basically my thinking going into the election was that uh, I went to Real Clear Politics and I looked at the most recent uh, state polls for the for you know the the quote unquote swing states, mm-hmm. uh, and in my mind, Donald Trump was going to turn out more voters for him than Romney did in in 2012, and Hillary was going to turn out much less than Obama did in 2012. So essentially, any state that was within three points of for either candidate, I was assuming Trump was going to win, and that turned out to be accurate, but but not entirely for the reasons I thought um so you know watching the election um you know i came home and my wife was like you know he's got no chance everybody says she's gonna win real quick is your is your wife a trump supporter as well uh, she is but not um she didn't vote she i tried to get her to register to vote and she, she so just, it's not like you're, you're like a house divide i mean it's not like you're you're one of for Hillary, one of for for Trump. It's not quite like that. Situation. No, was, okay. my my wife is very, very, very pro life, and so um, it's it, it, and and I'm I'm obviously on the other side of that from her. But um, that's it, anybody that's you know in favor of abortion, she's not for. That being said, there were many uh, many times we we're watching TV leading up to the election where she's like, you know, Trump's such a jackass. How's this guy? The presidential nominee, mm-hmm. not a giant fan of Donald Trump as a presidential candidate. 
would be a fair way to characterize her okay. opinion of him. Now, now he he came out very uh, very strongly appealing to pro life voters that that didn't serve as a hook for her. Um, I mean, again, she wasn't against Trump, but okay. but she wasn't. Um, she, I mean, she wasn't motivated to go register and to go vote. I mean, I think like a lot of people, um, which is unfortunate, but that's just kind of the reality of, of American and politics for as long as I've been able to vote. I mean, what was the turnout? About 50 percent? I don't even think that. I mean, it's uh, isn't it closer to like I think it basically 60 percent of eligible voters don't vote, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So that's, um, you know, disappointing. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. But interesting, interestingly to me, uh, both both candidates turned out less voters than 2012. Now, uh, do you so so then as you're as you're watching the returns, uh, I don't think there was ever a time where <laughs> like it seemed like it was a steady, slow decline for Clinton throughout the evening. Like there was never really a time there was a time early on where we were just going on, hey, what what different polls, what different pundits had said. But the course of the evening was basically just the ground crumbling out underneath Clinton, right? Like was there ever a time you were worried or was there a time that – was it just an evening of you getting more and more encouraged to how things were going? I was honestly a little worried at the early Florida returns because they were a little bit closer than I thought. And I hop around on election night. I want to see – as many different perspectives as I can. Uh, but then when it was clear to me that Trump was going to win, I began to focus on like MSNBC and CNN and, you know, watching Wolf Blitzer send their little electoral math guy to the board. You know, he, he would propose these scenarios. Right, right. He would tell him, well, what if this happens in this county? Come And the guy would put it up there. And then he would take it right back down. He was like, "Yeah, that's not going to happen. The math, <laughs> the math's not going to work that way." And so, I, you know, I, I there was some, I, I was gloating a little bit in, internally, and, and of course, I have a a couple of pretty good um, liberal friends that voted for Hillary Clinton, and of course, I sent them obligatory text messages. Uh, I, I had one uh, one friend uh, became friends with him at work, and he's one of one of my closest friends. And he was just uh, assured that that Hillary Clinton was going to win in the biggest landslide since you know Reagan '88. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. About nine o'clock central, I texted him, "Are you nervous yet?" And his response was, "Everybody should be." Right. <laughs> I think a lot of us were, were kind of, if not expecting that, hoping for it. Like I thought that was a very real possibility. Uh, I was like, yeah, she's easily going to get over 300 electoral votes. It might even be more than that. Uh, so, Olaf, how do you then do you feel about the fact that – because I think this is something that the left that, – that Democrats will be bringing up a lot over the next four years, uh, that he didn't get the popular vote, that – you know, Trump, of course, and I think a lot of the Republicans are wanting to sell this as a mandate because there was quite the sweep of the Electoral College. Uh, the Democrats didn't flip any states, and the Republicans flipped was like four or five that defied conventional wisdom. So I think the Republicans are trying to sell this as a mandate, but I think the Democrats a lot of times over the next four years are going to be pointing out, well, you guys didn't get the popular vote. Uh, how do you feel about that? So I would say 
it, it is a mandate simply because the Republicans the Republicans control both houses of Congress and the presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would agree that it is certainly not uh, a majority that that feels that Donald Trump is the solution for the next four years, and that's very clear. Um, if if we're talking about forty percent of eligible voters voted and it was basically split down the middle, mm-hmm. that means twenty percent of the country, you know, chose this guy actively. So right. that's that certainly couldn't be called a mandate. Um, the whole popular vote thing, though, look, it's it's always been that way. I don't think it's ever going to change. Um, well, you and I have something in common, Olaf, and and I don't think this is good, uh, but you and I have something in common in that our votes don't matter. Yeah. Uh, you live in Texas. You're conservative. I live in California. I'm liberal. Uh, you and I, in presidential elections, our vote is of no consequence whatsoever, and I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I, I certainly see that point of view, um, and uh, I mean, yeah, I mean that's – the, the, the caveat to that would be that if our votes counted, for example, if it was popular vote, then perhaps the candidates would spend a lot more time in California, Texas, Florida, New York, and ignore states like you know New Hampshire, Delaware. You know what I mean? Well, that's that's the point of the Electoral College, and that's why it's in place. And and I agree with you. Uh, it certainly serves a purpose there. But right now, what it means is that candidates only go to about four states. And I say only. I mean they'll make token visits elsewhere. But it's all about you know four or five battleground states. Uh, so would you rather it be about those battleground states or would you rather it be about states that actually have a majority of the population? Uh, and I don't pretend that one scenario is better than the other. But the Electoral College, our current system, leans it, I think, far too heavily on those battleground states. And I say that, by the way, uh, Olaf, as someone who supports the Electoral College. I think it's a good idea. I think it is important that we protect the can the the the, uh, the the relevance of presidential campaigns to less populated states. I think that's an important thing that the electoral college does. The problem, I think, isn't the electoral college; it's the way the states choose to implement it. Right now, is it Maine and Nebraska? I think there's like two states that aren't winner take all. They split up right. their electors based on how the, the state the state's votes broke. Uh, I, th- I I think it's ridiculous that other states don't do that, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But I would like to see the 55 electoral votes in California split. I, it would basically be a third for Trump, two thirds for Clinton. I would like I think that should be a relevant split, and I, the same with Texas. Uh, I, I think that the Clinton supporters in Texas, they should have a say in some of the Electoral College votes uh, from Texas. I mean, that certainly sounds reasonable, and, and that's nothing that I would oppose. Well, um, now, you, do you know what it would have done to the last election, though? Uh, no. Oh, Clinton would have handily won. I mean, no doubt about it. There would have been at least a 50-vote swing. I mean, so, right now Michigan isn't in, but uh, it's probably going to. Regardless of what, which way Michigan goes, it's basically if if Trump gets Michigan, which is probably going to happen, uh, it's 306 electoral votes to Trump, 232 to to Clinton, right? So he's got this huge lead there. If the electoral votes were split proportionate to each state's uh, vote, 
um, it would have been a swing of at least 50 votes, which would have put Clinton at like 282, Trump at like around 250. Uh, well. Then I'm glad it's the way it is now. <laughs> but, now are, uh, are you being facetious or, or uh, like as someone who cares about politics, you and I both do, uh, I, I wish that it were that way and not because it would have made Clinton win. That's just that's just a, a, a fortunate byproduct of if it would be that way. But I wish it were that way because I really think your vote and my vote should be relevant. No, so look, I agree with that last part. Uh-huh. I just was very uh, anyone but Hillary. That, that would have sure. been – that that's actually how I voted. So but real, go ahead, I want to ask yep. you something yes. being in California. Yes. So, you know, we hear a lot about voter fraud and and one side, my side, thinks it's a big deal and and wants to make people show a photo ID to vote. Uh-huh. And the other side, uh, you know, Democrats think, hey, it's not a problem. You're you know, you just want to do this because it 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 makes it harder to vote and so it impacts, you know, Low-income people more – question for you as a California resident, mm-hmm. from from my standpoint, you guys allow uh, illegal – undocumented workers, illegal immigrants to get driver's license, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's all that you need to register to vote? Uh, if your assertion is that the 11 million illegal immigrants in the United States are voting, I don't think there's any evidence of that. Uh, now, I could be wrong, but I've never heard in all the the allegations of voter fraud, which I know is a drum that the right loves to beat, um, I didn't – I was not aware that that was part of what they were trying to sell, this idea that illegal immigrants are voting. But you, well, you mean, think that's what's – that's part of what the issue is? I, th- I certainly think that if in a state you can get a driver's license while not being a citizen and you can also register, register to vote – with that driver li- driver's license, and then you don't even have to show that driver's license to vote. Uh, certainly, right. somebody is voting that shouldn't be voting. Well, I was assuming, and this might be incorrect, that it took more than just showing a driver's license. I, I could be wrong about that, uh, so I'm, I'm not sure. But shouldn't illegal immigrants, though, like – I mean, I, well, I can imagine where this is going. But illegal immigrants, they're here legally or illegally. Like it's important that if they're going to drive a car, they know what they're doing and that that gets vetted by the DMV. Uh, now, I understand that a lot of time driver's license – most of the time a driver's license means a lot more than, hey, I know how to drive. It's, hey, this is who I am. This proves my identity. I am pretty sure though – because, Olaf, I uh, – after 9-11, the – increased emphasis on immigration, I have never been in a situation where, say, I needed to travel or I needed to get paid by someone uh, where I, a driver's license was sufficient, where I – you know, when I worked as an actor, I would have to bring a passport to show that I was a citizen. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to get paid by a studio, whatever little token amount I was earning for, saying one line on a TV show. I had to sh- – proof that, prove that I was a citizen with more than a driver's license, I believe. Um, so that said, I, I don't know. You might you might have a point. But also that said, Olaf, I, I don't think there is any evidence of significant voter fraud because if there were, both parties would have a vested interest in establishing that fact one way or the other. Like if there was that significant voter fraud in California, you know, I don't know what proportion of the 11 million illegal immigrants we have, but probably it's a actually for California and Texas. 
between us, we probably share a lot of them, right? Uh, I've heard roughly half. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So if that was the case, as a Democrat, I would want to prove that was happening in Texas. As a conservative, folks would want to prove that was happening in California. Uh, Yet everything I've seen suggests that voter fraud is not a significant problem. Well, look, I can't say that I have seen uh, clear evidence that it's happening on a large scale, but just from my understanding of how you can get a driver's license in California while not being a citizen, and then subsequently how you can register to vote with that driver's license, and then you can actually vote without even needing to show that driver's license, to me it stands to reason that somebody's not playing by the rules when the rules are so easily broken. Well, right. I, I, though, would agree with not having to show a driver's license. I think remove every single barrier. Make voting as easy as possible because you and I both agreed earlier the fact that 60 percent of eligible voters aren't voting is shameful. And everything we can do to make those people vote, to make it easier for those people to vote, I think should be done. Uh, and, and I would disagree just because I think that if the integrity of the vote is important, and to me it is, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it's not to you. I didn't mean it to sound like that. But but we have to show a driver's license to do so many common things in our lives. I don't think it's a burden to show a, a driver's license or a government-issued ID. It doesn't – doesn't have to be a driver's license. Oh, um, I know so many people, for instance, in New York City that don't drive, have never had to drive growing up, and have no need for a driver's license. They use public transportation. Uh, now they probably got one to get, you know, to get into a nightclub or whatever folks do out there in New York. But there are people who don't have driver's license who should be allowed to vote and who shouldn't be saddled with the hassle of getting a government-issued photo ID. Uh, well, then, I mean, those people have a social security card. Good Lord. Do you have your social security card? Well, you have to have it. When you when you get a job, you, you have to have it. I had to go and get one for – what was it? Is it a password? But I've, I went through 40 yeah, years of life ha- without ever needing – yeah, for a passport – without ever needing a social security card. I had no idea where it was. Uh, yeah. Anyway, my point being, I, I agree with you that provide – ideally, voter fraud would be prevented by – having people show some sort of identification, right? But my counter to that would be there's no, with our current situation, there's no evidence of any significant voter fraud. Uh, If that were an issue, then I would agree we should maybe start considering making it more difficult to vote, uh, forcing people to go through another loophole or two, jump through another hoop or two to vote. Uh, But with the current situation and what we do know about voter fraud, I don't think those sorts of things should be done. So, and, and you know, that's, That's just me here in California. Uh, Considering that 30% of the Latino vote still went to Trump, good lord. I mean, (laughs) in a way, I don't know that it would have made that much of a difference. Uh, Well, I mean, 70 to 30 is still quite an advantage. It is, but good lord, I expected a 90 to 10 kind of thing. Uh, I think a lot of us did, yeah. Well, so, okay, so so that said, Olaf, Trump is the president-elect. I want you to reassure me with a couple of concerns, okay? And, and I think these are the traditional things that you hear from Democrats who were taken aback by how November 8th went. Uh, the first thing I want you to reassure me about is I think – and I kind of am going to apologize in advance for saying this, Olaf, because I don't mean it personally. But I think you know, Clinton's comment about deplorables – uh, probably backfired, but I kind of agree with the substance of it in that I think voting for 
Trump is a deplorable thing. Now hold on because I, I, I feel like a dick because I kind of am just calling you deplorable, and that's not what I'm intending to do. I say that because I think that Trump is a racist and he's a misogynist, and he's, he's a xenophobe. He is an Islamophobe. I think the man – I wouldn't characterize it as hatred necessarily, but he fears – he doesn't understand the experience of minorities, of women, and of immigrants. And I think that's a huge liability to someone who's leading the United States, which in this world should be championing the protection and equality of minorities, of women, of immigrants. Um, so I think it is deplorable, and it's, I realize that's a sticky word and that I'm kind of being a dick about it, but I think that it's deplorable that someone would support this man as the head of this country. So reassure me. I've just kind of called you deplorable, and again, I apologize, but reassure me who's worried about Trump being a racist and a misogynist and all that stuff that you've heard during the campaign. Yeah, so – and this goes back to really one of my biggest problems between the divide between the right and the left mm -hmm. is that your and I'm gonna I'm gonna say your side. Please do. Yep. I think that you guys throw out the words like racist, misogynist, Islamophobe, xenophobe way too often. Okay. To the point where it's sort of backfiring in that calling somebody a racist, it's it's very watered down. Um, my idea of a racist is, uh, you know, a cross-burning Klansman. Uh -huh. Is somebody who's, uh, you know, not happy that a, that a black guy joined their team at work. Um, that that's my idea of a racist. Okay. Making comments about races isn't isn't racist to me. And I think too often when when we're dealing with the interpretation of things like that, those two things get conflated. Okay. And a, and a huge problem for me is the way that my side doesn't stand up for itself with respect to delineating the difference between being anti-immigrant and anti-illegal immigrant because they are two completely different things. Glad to hear you say that. Good. Yep. And, and it's very often that when you're watching a program, whether it's CNN, Fox, uh, MSNBC, and you know they, they do their – they try and have opposing viewpoints – Almost almost nobody on my side makes that distinction, and I don't think it's because they don't think there is a distinction. Uh, I just – I don't know why it is, but I, but I think it's huge because I think language like that matters. I think one of the reasons uh, – you know, 30 years ago, nobody used the word – the term undocumented immigrant. Mm -hmm. Everybody used illegal immigrant on both sides of the issue. Mm hmm um, it wasn't a partisan issue when Reagan had his, his amnesty in the 80s. It, it, everybody agreed – well, I don't want to say everybody, but – and, and again, I was uh, certainly not uh, following politics the way I do now. I mean I was uh, seven when Reagan took office and, and 15 when he left, but, but I don't think that – uh, immigration, illegal immigration, was a partisan issue back then, the way it is now. Right. Um, and I think that's a big problem, and I think it has contributed dramatically to uh, the left feeling that 
Trump with his comments on illegal immigration um, automatically make him a racist. Um, I, 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 he's certainly been inarticulate. He certainly said I, I would I would concede that he's made some offensive comments. Okay. But but I don't think that they're racist, especially when taken in context of what he's talking about. Uh, you know his uh, the the speech that is always used to kind of harangue him uh, when he when he announced his candidacy when he's talking about uh, they're not sending us their best, right. they're sending us rapists, murderers, and I assume some of them are good people. Obviously worded very poorly, but he was obviously talking about illegal immigration and. I think that's a huge uh, difference between immigration, and I think it's a it's a very it's a stretch to say that somebody who's against illegal immigration is a racist. And and to your to your side of this, Olaf, uh, that quote about rapists, I think, uh, is often con- they conveniently omit the bit where he sort of walks it back and says, "Oh, some of them are good people." Like I I think that you can easily point out evidence that Trump is a racist or a misogynist or whatever, but a lot of times you take things out of context and you have to conveniently cut off something where he kind of backpedaled or tried to say something uh, to, to ameliorate the offensiveness of what he said. Uh, so so that, that said, though, um, so given that let's say that he is just been taken out of context, uh, he is inarticulate, and he'll inadvertently say offensive things uh, – how do you feel, though, because part of the concern is that he is appealing to what's called the alt-right, and those are the people that burn crosses. Uh, the appointment of Stephen Bannon as one of his chief strategists, the guy from Breitbart, uh, there's a, that's a sort of a haven for alt-right stuff. Uh, does, does that concern you? Because I think that's a lot of the problems that folks like I have who were maybe hoping – Okay, he's going to tone down his rhetoric. He's going to become an establishment Republican. Uh, the fact that he's not disavowing the alt-right as as loudly as I think he should, the fact that he is keeping Bannon in the fold, those are concerns for me. Can you reassure me there at all? Um, so certainly there are uh, alt-right people who voted for Trump mm-hmm. because – their interests and their desires align with the vast majority of Trump supporters who are not a part of the alt-right, who don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just because two groups' interests line up doesn't mean they're linked, and it doesn't mean that they are, um, you know, hand in hand. I, I, I don't think I don't I don't know anybody who I, I would. Who self-identifies as a racist? Let me let me. Can sure. do you know anybody who does that? Uh, I don't, and I don't think that racists would. <laughs> I think no. one of the last people to self-identify as a racist would be a racist. But you would you would agree that alt-right people would self-identify as racist, correct? I mean, oh sure, sure. But but keep in mind, they say things like, uh, and these are they say things like, I don't think black people are inferior. I just think we should live separately. Like that is uh, – and I think it's a cowardly way to, to put it. They have ways of covering their tracks and justifying yeah. what they believe. Uh, but yeah. yeah, you're right. I would agree with you. Very few people would self-identify as a racist. I agree with you. So, at, but it, so just to kind of clarify, and, uh-huh. and as somebody who's been called a racist on 
QT3 forums. And by the way, I've done it, and I kind of apologize, but I also kind of stand by what I've said. So, it, and and it gets to what you're saying, Olaf, that we might be a little too quick to use it to to sling that word out, because you, Olaf, I know you're not a white supremacist. So no. when I call you a racist, which is the same term labeled at white supremacists, it does water down the term. So I agree with you there. So go ahead. Yeah. I cut you off. I'm sorry. And so, you know, uh, I played football for in high school, played a little bit in college, and played intermediate school. And, and I would submit to you that and, – and I'm again, very, very narrow example. If you're a part of that meritocracy environment and you're playing with black guys, you're playing with Mexican guys mm-hmm. – you're playing with white guys. You're not a racist, and it, and in fact, it does the opposite of that. It that uh, all of you on the same team, uh, work from different backgrounds, working towards the same thing. Uh, it, it, any kind of uh, racist notions that somebody may have had going in, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you're going to have them leaving it. And and I say that just again to go back to. As someone who has been called a racist on the internet, I, I don't know anybody who thinks that uh, black people are inferior, that Hispanics are inferior, that it, that we need to live separately. Um, we talked a little bit of, of before this um, about you know background and whatnot. My wife is half Hispanic. Uh, my first wife was was half Korean. Um, there's plenty of, of people on, on, on my side that um, are like, you know, very resentful of, of being called a racist when we have a different opinion. And from somebody on my side, that's oftentimes what it feels like when the argument breaks down is, oh, you're a racist, you're a xenophobe, you're Islamophobe, you're a misogynist. Mm-hmm. When I've got a wife, I've got a mom, I've got a daughter. I don't hate women. I, I love women, and I, and I believe Trump when he says that. What what he is is a, a rich guy who has objectified women in the past. But you know, I mean, we're a country that still has beauty pageants. Like, do do you think that Bill Clinton is is better than Donald Trump on 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 women? If you're asking me that in earnest, I have a I have an answer, but I'm not going to give it <laughs> uh, because I do. Yes, I definitely think because Clinton has championed women's causes. Say what you will about his personal life uh, as a Democrat, as a as a party line towing Democrat, he has definitely championed the kinds of women's causes that Trump has shown no interest in. Uh, but I do get what you're saying, Olaf. And I, and I, well, and to be fair, Trump has not been active in politics outside of the last two years. Sure. I mean, he's a career he's a career Democrat. And getting back to how would I reassure you guys? Uh-huh. How would I reassure? I the like left? where this is I going. Would, go ahead. I would say, take a look at Trump. He's been in the public eye since I don't know, sometime in the 70s, probably before I was aware that he was in the public eye. But he's been in the public eye for quite some time. I've seen photos of him with guys like Jesse Jackson, with guys like Al Sharpton. They weren't calling him a racist when they were taking checks from him, when they were doing media events with him back before he was running for president. He, he was uh, a New York Democrat. How much do people change? Uh, yeah, I agree. Now, uh, have you, did you see by any chance his uh, 60 Minutes interview with Leslie Stahl or maybe the footage of him coming out of the meeting with Obama? I watched all of it. 
the 60 Minutes interview. I didn't necessarily see all the Obama stuff, but I did see highlights. What is your uh, – because he seemed um, – you could put it a few different ways, but I get the sense that he's a little shell-shocked. He, see, he well, just seems really subdued, uh, and I don't know what to put that down to. Do you, do you have any opinions there about why he is the way he is now? I do. I think – I think he uh, the import the importance of the office um, is going to influence his his behavior. Um, you know the bombast and the personal attacks that we saw uh, on the campaign trail that, quite frankly, were very effective. I mean, you know nobody nobody thought he would win the Republican primary, let alone <laughs> win the presidency. I voted so, for him in the Republican primary off because California has open primaries, and I thought – I honestly believed the best way to support Clinton was to do what I could in California to make sure the Republicans put forth an unelectable candidate. <laughs> so, sure, and I think the Clinton campaign held held your, your – I think they believed what – Sure, absolutely. Think, yeah. Absolutely. I they mean, wanted they, uh, him to get the nomination. Sure. You know, When this all kicked off, I think everybody thought this was going to be Bush versus Clinton You know, round – what round three? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what everybody thought, and uh, you know we we didn't get that. But but I definitely think that uh, you know there's a lot of conservatives who are who are not happy with with Trump, and and not just because of his you know potential personal character deficiencies, but because of his policies. Uh, he is not a social conservative. He is not a fiscal conservative, and I think those two things should at least give the left hope that whatever the next four years are going to be, they're not going to be uh, – I, I, I think it's business as usual. You're saying they're not going to be the worst-case scenario that people were putting forth during the campaign. It's not going to be Trump grabbing people by the pussy and not paying his contractors. Like Those sorts of things are not going to be part of what we're getting in the next four years, you're saying? Yeah, I, I don't see that. I think uh, – and, and again, this is somebody who is exiting eight years of Obama where like I was I was worried. What we, you, you knew you were worried about uh, – I mean, just you know, you know the okay. So the the issue, the the primary issue that's important to me is the Second Amendment, and it's been watered down a lot. And I thought that he could potentially water it down more. I see what you're saying. Uh, when, so you're worried about his policies. I, I understand. What oh, you're absolutely. Right. Um, when you know, and look, I, I don't think Obamacare is is a, is a good thing, and I and I say that because I think the the way that we pay for and and talk about healthcare is completely fucked up and nobody you're not going to fix it by spending more money on it from the the treasury the whole thing needs to be re- reworked from the ground up um so so i didn't think obamacare was 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 great i mean obviously it it helped a lot of people uh and that's good for them but I, I don't think it has delivered on its promises in terms of being particularly affordable. Um, and I, I think that that's probably Obama's legacy at this point. Would, would you point to anything else? To Ob- beyond Obamacare? Sure. Uh, our standing internationally. 
uh, I would point to that. Even though folks have criticized what you know the whole red line thing in Syria, I think he's done a great job restoring the United States' uh, political capital in the world. Uh, I think he has done a, a great job bringing us out of a very difficult economic time. I think he's done a great job furthering the cause of minorities and, and women. Um, so yeah. See, I- yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the economy, I, I would disagree on. I think there's a lot of people that have left left the workforce entirely. Um, I think our ra- I think race relations. Oh, I seem to have lost you. You have been censored by Skype. <laughs> oh, you hear yeah. me? There you go. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. You you faded for a second. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy how uh, just being having different politics influence uh, how we see his his era. And the reason why I brought up Obamacare, because to me, that's the most that's that's what he's done that has influenced the average American more than anything. And I was just pointing out that it didn't really hurt anybody. And I, and I would I would say that's what you're going to see from Trump. If you're a middle class taxpayer, mm-hmm. I don't think your life's changing much. Uh, let me then throw out my second major concern. Uh, actually, I want to ask you real quick a question that I ask folks who have this opinion about uh, Obamacare and healthcare. Like the thing I approve about Obamacare. First of all, I'm super biased. Uh, the government literally saved my life. I uh, was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. There would have been no way I would have been able to afford treatment. I thought I was just fucked, and I come to find out. Oh, the government takes care of me. I got so much super expensive treatment I never would have been able to pay for. And weirdly enough, it didn't bankrupt me because I don't make make enough money. If I'd been middle class, I would have been even more fucked. Um, But I say this as someone whose life was literally saved by the government. Uh, Our government guarantees for everyone uh, an education, right? All children are provided education up to grade 12. Uh, and they're given help even for, for additional education. If a government provides its citizens education, and I don't really know the answer to this. I would be just curious what someone like you would say. Shouldn't the government also provide all of its citizens health care? And if not, why not? Uh, so, look, I'm not going to say they shouldn't. Okay. But this goes back to what I said earlier. The whole system needs to be broken down and rethought because we call it health insurance, but that's not what it is. Uh, if my house burns down. I'm not allowed to buy insurance after the fact, and and that is is what's happening with this pre-existing condition stuff. And I don't say that to be unsympathetic. I'm very sympathetic to you, and I'm I'm glad that it that it helped you out. I'm simply saying that from a cost perspective, it doesn't work. And and I think we're seeing. Wait, that. real quick. What is the it when you say it doesn't work? Uh, treating Obamacare as health insurance. Oh, I see what you're saying. It, okay. It's it's health coverage. No, but I'm, I'm asking more, Olaf, on, on the perspective of socialized medicine because it does work, and it depends on what you mean by work, but it does give all of its citizens medical care in other countries. Uh, just from a philosophical perspective, I'm assuming you don't support that, uh, and it's just always struck me as odd that people who understand the idea of a free education provided by the government disagree when it comes to free health care provided by the government. Uh, man, I, I just feel like the the intermingling of the ver- the various parts of the system right now they don't 
they don't work. Okay. And and I worry. Um, my my one of my recent struggles with politics is that uh, I feel like we've reached the point where both parties have realized that they don't have to account for the things they promise their electorate. In other words, why? Let's promise people free stuff to try and get votes because we don't actually have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to really bite us in the ass in 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 a really big way some point down the road. And I think healthcare is a giant piece of that. Um, certainly, I think that uh, it, it's not unreasonable for the government to provide a a level of care. To everyone, but man, where do you draw the line? I mean, you, I, you know, you 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 mentioned your cancer and how expensive that that has been. I I actually have a, a sort of a weird form of arthritis, a psoriatic arthritis, and um, I, the drug that I take is thirty five hundred dollars a month, and obviously I can't pay for that, but who can? So. We can't give everybody ten thousand dollar a month treatments. It just does. It just it's not it's not feasible. Right. And and Olaf. So, so who decides? Right. Olaf. Medical ethics. That that's something that medical ethics will struggle with, whether it's a for profit industry or a government run industry. Uh, I would say that's not unique to social. It's not a unique issue to socialized medicine. You know, you go to a hospital. This whole idea of triage. You know, which patients get precedence. They a hospital. You know, the medical industry can't save everyone, and it's something they've always struggled with. But I do get what you're saying. Uh, you know, there's a reason that if you want a super complicated brain surgery, you don't go to Canada. You go to the Mayo Clinic. You know, you, you get it here in the U.S. because the for-profit system attracts a level of skill that you don't find with socialized medicine. Uh, but yeah. I sort of feel that I, I just the whole thing with education. I you know I, I presented that to one of my friends once, and he said, "Oh well, I don't think the government should provide education either." And I was just flabbergasted. That's a viable perspective, though. I mean, if you completely want to privatize healthcare and education, I, I guess that is consistent. And I just wondered if you would go there, but I'm glad to hear that you didn't. Um, but 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 you know that's interesting that you bring that up because that was an issue in the campaign. You know, for sure vouchers. Yeah, that that's what's behind this whole voucher idea with education, right? But also providing free college. I think that's uh, I think that's a mistake. I think that's um, I think that's too much. I think that's uh, the taxpayer has had enough at that point. Colleges are ridiculously expensive, and I think they are a large part of the problem that we're facing with respect to the divide on either side. I think that colleges are teaching they're, – they're manufacturing victims. They're, they're manufacturing outrage, uh, and I think that translates into politics where you know, you're a racist if you say something critical of Hispanics. Um, well, if I won't disagree with you the least about all of the identity politics that come out of college, but I think more importantly, I tend to think of that, and this might be naive on my point, I believed a lot of dumb things when I was in college, and I like to think those folks grow out of it, and it's just part of the growing process, and that more impor importantly, they're learning how to learn, uh, but I agree with you, cultural politics and, and the stuff you hear about colleges, <laughs> I uh 
in some ways, I'm, I'm with you conservatives. So, Olaf, let me present one more objection to you because I could do politics with you all night. This is great, okay. but I do want to get into some video game dorkiness. But let me just prevent, present to you the other concern that folks hear about Trump. I want to know how you would respond to this. Okay. Olaf, when I get on an airplane, the guy I want flying that airplane is the guy who has been doing it for thousands of thousands of hours. I don't want some new guy, an outsider. I feel that driving the country is very much like driving an airplane. I want an establishment politician in there who understands politics. Uh, you know, a lot of folks think of Donald Trump's inexperience as an asset. I don't understand why they would think that about a president when nobody would think that about an air airplane pilot. So how, how would you address that concern? Well, I think one of the big reasons that Trump was elected was uh, to, to use a hashtag, drain the swamp. Right. Um, I think money in politics is caused more problems uh, than people probably realize. Um, I'm not saying I think Trump's going to be able to do it. He, I, I'm very skeptical, but I hope that he can. I think term limits are are a good thing. Um, I think this kind of cycle that we have where somebody goes to Washington and then if they leave, they go back to Washington except they triple their salary as a lobbyist. Um, I think a lot of – Common sense policies that we don't have are because of giant money in in PACs and super PACs. Um, things like marijuana being a Schedule One drug—that's absurd. Uh, but it's like that because giant pharmaceutical companies spend millions of dollars a year keeping it that way. Probably people who profit off of alcohol sales do the same thing. Uh, private prisons are are one of the worst mistakes in American history. Assuredly, those things happen because of money in politics, um, and I think that's why – that's part of why Trump went to Washington uh, with – you know, we agreed that it wasn't quite a mandate, but you know, more people than anybody thought any, – any expert thought were going to vote for him, voted for him. And so while I get your analogy that obviously I don't want to get – on a plane that Donald Trump is flying, <laughs> if Donald Trump has never flown a plane, I see that. Um, in this specific instance, though, I think there is uh, it, it's it's a big enough system that he's that he's not just going to set it all on fire. You, you know, I, I think he's going to put. And you know, you, you brought up O'Bannon. He's going to put people in in spots that. Uh, maybe you don't agree with, but presumably, and you know, we'll see when his cabinet comes out. But I don't expect it to be comprised of people that don't have political experience. I, I expect it to be people that do have political experience, and I, and I would hope that seeing that reassures your side of the aisle a little more, a little bit at least. Don't Giuliani and Gingrich just make your skin crawl, or is that just me? Uh, I, you know, I, I, they're not like dudes I would want to invite over for Thanksgiving. But, uh, you know, there was a time when everybody loved Giuliani. I, I don't know what happened to that. He became uh, old and crazy. That's what happened to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Newt Gingrich is very sharp. And I think when you contrast him with like a Ted Cruz, he's he's very much appealing. 
uh, in terms of a conservative thinker that is a little bit more relatable and a little bit, uh, you know, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I would be much more comfortable, uh, Olaf, if he had uh, Jeb Bush and Kasich up there. Like, well, why? I mean, those guys have sort of excluded themselves, but I would much rather he bring them into the fold. Uh, I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna yeah. miss those guys, which is I never thought I would say. <laughs> it, it's disappointing to me that that he was not able to heal his rifts with Kasich uh, more because I think uh, I think he's probably a pretty good centrist, uh, you know, fair-minded leader type of guy. Uh, I was pretty disappointed with Jeb, but uh, you know, two years ago I would have thought. Jeb would be great when the alternative was Hillary. So, well, Olaf, as I said, I could do this with you all day. This is great, but let's let's revert to our computer dork status. And I just want to say, I find it hilarious that uh, when this podcast gets posted, it's going to be titled "Olaf and Tyranny." <laughs> I love it <laughs> because. It's also the name of a video game, but there's another level that people could take that. But let's then talk about the RPG tyranny. Uh, you're an RPG guy, right? Yes, that's my favorite type of computer game, and it really has been since uh, I played Wizardry on a on a friend's Apple sure. II when I was probably, I don't know, seven, yeah. six. So those are some nice bona fides, right? Good. Uh, were you like a Baldur's Gate guy? Like, have you been following this series? Yeah. So Baldur's Gate 2 was my absolute favorite game of all time until last year's Witcher 3. Ah, okay. So then you must just be tickled at what? Did did you play uh, Pillars of Eternity? I did. I did. I was a I was a Kickstarter at a at a embarrassingly high dollar amount <laughs> and I was thrilled that that this was going to be you know, not BG3, but a spiritual BG3 in an original setting. So I only messed around with a little bit of Pillars of Eternity. Uh, I've gotten much farther into further into uh, Tyranny. Is Tyranny just kind of a reskinning of Pillars of Eternity? Uh, anybody that's played both, I think the engine and the combat um, and kind of the the highbrow writing, they they share similarities. Um I think Pillars was just a little bit too dense in terms of the the new concepts that are kind of different from your standard elves, dwarves, orcs, archetypes. They were a little bit different there, and, and, the, and the game was probably a little bit less approachable than it could have been. Um, uh, but I, I really am enjoying Tyranny. I, I I, I I think I probably like it a little bit more than Pillars of Eternity, and I thought Pillars of Eternity was okay. great. I, uh, I again, Witcher Three was was just blew my mind. Best game I've ever played. Pillars wasn't that, but I mean, I played it and and I finished it, and I I enjoyed the experience. So for listeners, if you're playing Tyranny, we just want to make it clear, uh, Olaf and I are both a little early, like we're kind of early-ish in Act Two, uh, and we're going to be talking about. Spoilers involving Act 1 and maybe a little bit of where Act 2 starts you off. Uh, so just keep that in mind if you want to keep listening because that's where we're going. So, uh, Olaf, you and I have both gotten through the first act. We're in the middle of the second act. Uh, are you uh, – what is it? Scarlet Chorus or Disfavored? I am disfavored all I the way. I love that because I'm Scarlet Chorus all the way. 
<laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, what kind of character uh, are you working on? Like, what kind of character build do you got going? Yeah, so this is always a problem for me in games like this. I I never make this decision easily, um, but I I tend to go with like a bow guy, like a like a the classic ranger type of dude. So that's that's what I've done here. My guy is focused on bows. Um, I do kind of go with lore just because I enjoy the additional dialogue options, and and that then opens up. Uh, the 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 created spells. So I, I'm actually kind of like a, a a bow mage guy, but the mage stuff is just an accidental result of the game mechanics. I love the magic system in this. I do too. I I've heard people complaining about it. I think it's fantastic. what are they complaining I think, about? Uh, I don't know. I just read people that said I started as a mage and I wish I hadn't. Uh, I wonder you know, if they're just I, I expecting know. the standard, uh, you know, magic missile level one, sleep level two, fireball level three. I wonder if they're expecting that. No, I, I think it's especially helpful for the main character in that whatever you focus on, you have that aspect of the, the, the created spells to kind of bolster whatever you're lacking. Yeah, and I, I love too how it ties into lore because like you, I always feel like lore, if you're into a world, like having a lore-based character is a great way to make sure that you get all these little touches in the world. Like, I would hate to be excluded from some of that. So it was just kind of a pleasant byproduct that, oh yeah, now I've got all of these great spell combinations at my fingertips because I'm doing a lore character. Uh, so I love I love how if you want to push the magic system, you're also digging deeper into the world with that lore skill. Um, yeah, I like it too. And I think they've... Uh, early on, I was a little bit uh, off put by the fact that you're you're kind of playing for the bad guy just because when I play these games I I generally never go like the the bad guy route um, in Mass Effect it was a little bit easier because you know Paragon and Renegade weren't really good and evil and I and I was pretty gleefully Renegade but in in a lot of times when you're presented with you know rob the old lady. Or you know, do the job for free. I'm the do the job for free guy, and so working for, you know, you're either the 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 horde of of unskilled, massive, uh, you know, Russian World War II kind of <laughs> army, or you're kind of like the Germans, uh, you know, very fewer numbers but better tech, better discipline. Um, I didn't like that initially, but I thought I think they've done a very good job of 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 making them a little bit more sympathetic than than I than than I thought they well, could. It's kind of funny frankly. to hear some of the bits where characters are explaining to the inhabitants here. You know, this this huge empire of, of Kiros, kind of sort of this this huge empire is conquering this last little peninsula on this continent where the Tyr, like I think that's what it's called, and it consists of some like squabbling houses. And they're they're presenting these arguments like, hey, we're bringing you order and, and peace and uh, you know infrastructure. Uh, they're doing a good job of selling this idea that hey, yeah, maybe these guys should submit to this empire. Um, yeah, Graven Ash does a great job of of, of campaigning for the disfavored. No, I will say yes, yeah, Scarlet Chaos. I am sort of. Even though I'm siding there, I'm sort of like, well, who would ever put them in charge? That doesn't seem to make much sense. Uh, but they're, they're so 
they also do a good job with instead of like Paragon Renegade in Mass Effect. You mentioned that. Those are both terms that don't have a, you know, the, they're not leaning towards positive or negative necessarily. Both of them can be sold as positives. Uh, they do this great thing in Tyranny, where with a character, you're either cultivating loyalty or fear. Because fear, like, like I don't want to make a character in my party hate me, but making that person fear me, oh, I kind of understand that. And it's the same way with your empire reputation, like your, your faction reputation. Do you cultivate favor or wrath? Uh, I, I kind of like that. It's not like they won't talk to me. It's just they're very angry with me. Uh, so I, I like the way the terms, they're, they're encouraging you to not necessarily think of them as good or evil. Uh, yeah, I love it. I think it's it's very clever, and I especially like how there's very few, um, at least up to this point in my experience, there's very few things that cause you to lose either one of those. You might gain oh, one and not the other. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so it's sort of like scratching that metagaming itch where, oh, look, I, if I get up to – I don't know if you've noticed, but you get – well, I'm sure you've noticed, but I don't know how valuable you feel like they are. But some of, uh, you know, as you reach certain favor or loyalty or wrath or fear metrics, you unlock abilities. And there's a couple of them that are really good. And not only that, Olaf, I don't know if you have this turned on. I could see some people who want to role play not having this on. But one of the first things I turned on was an indicator for why you get certain choices and what – the outcome will be of certain choices, like minor, uh, minor favor gain, major favor gain, you know, minor wrath gain. Uh, and I like your observation that, yeah, you're putting things into a bucket, aren't you? You're never taking things out. You're never losing something that you previously gained. I mean, you rarely are. They're, they're letting you uh, avoid that. Um, but I've noticed there are a lot of times that I got a dialogue choice because I had cultivated a certain amount of wrath or loyalty. A certain amount of uh, you know uh, fear or favor, whatever. Um, so I love how transparent that is. And you can look at the reputation screen, and there are thresholds, and you can clearly see on the tooltip. You know, I'm 17% away from tier two loyalty. Uh, mm -hmm. I love the above boredness of the mechanics in these games. Uh, and that goes for combat as well. Good lord, I don't spend a lot of time in it, but I love that combat log over there. You know. Yes. I, was, I was in a battle yes, earlier today, and I kind of got one-shotted. And I was like, what? And I could just scroll up that, that log and say, oh, it was some blade of a thousand cuts, and there were critical hits. And like, I love being able to see the numbers and the rolls. Uh, I love the above-boredness of this system. Yeah, I, I am always a turn-based guy, and I would prefer kind of a, a turn-based approach. But, you know, that kind of ship has sailed. Uh, although Divinity last year yeah. was great at yeah. that, that was that was a fantastic game. But I I agree with you. I love being able to mouse over and see. Oh man, what's going on here? You know, because again, for the, I'm playing on hard, and I found Pillars of Eternity not super challenging on hard. But that's kind of the way I like it. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, like if I lose a boss battle and I have to reload, I'm okay with that. But I don't ever want to get my clock cleaned by like you know yard trash. <laughs> Uh, this game, uh, I found there's been a few fights in Act Two that that were pretty challenging know, for me. Yeah, even the end of Act One, I like 
I finally, and I, I, this always, in any game where you've got that Goldilocks zone of difficulty, where you've zeroed in on it, there's going to be a time where you're playing the game, and combats are happening, and combats are happening, and then you lose one egregiously, and you're like, okay, I need to sit down and figure out my skills, and I need to slot consumables, and, you know, I ran into that yes. at the end of Act 1, I and do that's, that's fine. You know, it, it makes me appreciate the system all the more. But man, Act Two is is uh, like the, those these armored. I'm fighting a bunch of heavily armored, disfavored folks. I'm assuming you're just fighting a bunch of cheap, trashy, scarlet chorus guys with no armor. I don't know what you're up against, but I'm definitely having trouble in Act Two on hard as well. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that yeah, that last fight in Act One. You, I'm sure, like like. Like me, you appreciated that lore dialogue option where that sage yes. run, runs off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Because I rolled into that thinking, oh, there's no way I'm going to beat all these guys. You know, and, and you get to make one of them run off. That was very handy. In Act 2, so far for me, I haven't fought any Scarlet Chorus yet. They have me fighting, uh, I think it's called the Bronze Brotherhood. Right. And they're off kind of in the in the... In the southwest corner of the map, and Letharians yeah, yeah, crossing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I am like too, as well. But it's controlled by disfavored, and they don't like me. Uh, now, it, that's weird because in in my in my game, uh, it's controlled by the Bronze Brotherhood, who are agents of of you guys. Of you guys. Oh, of Scarlet Court. Well, yeah, yeah of course, well, what, guys. What, this is another thing too. I love about the game. I get my eyes glaze over if you start an RPG with all of this stuff about King so and so and the evil wizard blah blah or the demon da da in this land of such and such. That overload of proper nouns and place names and weird lore stuff. I need to be eased into it. And one of my favorite ways, and Obsidian is so good at choice and consequence systems, one of my favorite ways, I loved the prologue here. Like, okay, here's the world. We're going to show you these little story beats, and you get to make a choice. And that makes me pay attention. Like, if I have to choose A or B, oh, well, I want to know why would I choose A or why would I choose B. And they're giving you like a – it's a great way to play you into the world. And I imagine, too – they're kind of building the world here because I gave Lethian's Crossing over to the disfavored, thinking, yeah, they're, they're law and order. They should be able to run it correctly. It sounds like you didn't do that, and so these mercenaries are, are still running it. So I love that in addition to world building in the sense of informing the player of the world, there's world building in the sense of creating the state of the world. Uh, that was a great yeah, opening. That first part was great, and also I think what happened is I didn't even choose whatever scenario would have enabled me to do that because, you know, uh, at every step they make you pick. You know, you can pick this one and, uh, you know, these others disappear, and then the choices that you have to make in your area of influence are, you know, they're tough choices. They're they're like, oh, (laughs) This guy's clearly not going to like this. This guy's just going to like it okay. I'm going to – am I making a friend or am I making two enemies? I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought they did a, a really good job with that. Um, and I love seeing in the dialogue the uh, the green yes. text where it – you know. <laughs> like it's like cool. this is something whispered specifically to me. Only I know about here. Yes. Here's Obsidian saying, by the way, here's this cool little detail that you wouldn't have otherwise known if your lore wasn't hot enough. I do love that. Uh, so, uh, Olaf, let me raise uh, the issue that I'm currently having, and this 
probably says more about me than the game itself. Uh, so in Act 2, I'm having these difficult combats. Like you, I love all the detail. I am more of a turn-based guy, so combats go super slow for me. You know, I'm constantly pausing and looking at things. As soon as a character has that little sword icon over his or her head and they're just doing their default attack, I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. Let me see what if you have some better yes. options here. Uh, that said, I'm, I'm super happy for the most part with the way the AI acquits itself if you just let it uh, do its thing. But the combats go super slow for me. Um, playing on hard, I, they're, they are hard. They are difficult. They are taking a lot of min-maxing. And, I, and there's no... Anytime I want, I can go into that option screen and dial it down from hard to normal or even to easy. And I feel like there's no incentive for me to play on hard. I feel like there's no incentive for me to find that Goldilocks zone where I'm enjoying all the detail of the combat. Because if you just play on easy, your dudes will just be shooting off effects and spells and you're just watching all this stuff happen and then the battle's over and you've won and you loot stuff. But if you're playing on too hard, you're constantly having to go back and reload and play again. So that Goldilocks zone is the point where you can appreciate the combat system because the game pushes back hard enough at you, but it's not frustrating you by making you replay things. I'm having a hard time finding that Goldilocks zone so I'm leaning towards, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to play on easy and plow through the storyline. And I hate that. Like, I, it's a good combat system. I, I wish they'd given me some incentive to make me rise to the challenge. Yeah, um, I am not quite there yet, but I would definitely go for normal before I would go for easy. Just It makes a huge you know. difference, by the way, because I tried it. Before we podcasted, I wanted to make a little bit more progress in the story, so I dialed it down to normal. We're still losing a couple of battles. I put it back down to easy. Battles meant nothing. Like, I could go up and fix a sandwich and wait for it to be done, and that's just ridiculous, isn't it? What uh, what, uh, what kind of character are you So playing? I've got a, a, a magic what? user. Um, uh-huh. she's, uh, yeah, basically just high lore, high magic use staff. Uh, I've brought into the party. I think you can't go without having Barak, that, that tank, of course. Uh, and then I've, I had the healer for a while. Uh, but mostly it's my magic user, Verse, who's kind of a, uh, I guess a blade dancer, archer type. You can have her choose whichever one you want. Then of course, Barak to tank. And then I either put one of the mages or the healer in that fourth spot. Another thing I really liked uh, that they did with this game is how every character gets customized talent trees. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Because especially with Verse, um, you know, you can make her a rogue or you can make her a a ranged character, and and she's equally effective at at either one. And they incentivize Um, digging deeper into one tree. Than uh, they do. spreading it amongst. It's kind of like they're they're encouraging you to make choices to lean towards one or the other, which I like. Yeah, I like that too. I've had trouble settling on a party. Uh, for me, obviously, the tank he's got to be there because I'm not a tank, and I can't imagine playing, you know, right. without a tank. Just makes things so much easier. Um, you know, verse was obviously there in Act One for most of Act One because you don't you don't have a full party and. You certainly don't have five. At the end of Act One, you know, you pick up the Water Mage, and then I don't know if this is specific to to my game, but have you gotten another party member? Uh, Siren has not joined me yet. Do you mean her? No. No. There's a. Uh, the healer guy. I got. Okay. I got him. But there's a. 
but there's a, a beast. Oh a no, beast I've woman. met her, and I'm at a place now. Like I'm at the point where I go over to a place called Cacophony, which is where the Scarlet Chorus is headquartered, and there's a Beastmen area there. So I'm assuming I've met her. I had a cool encounter. I'm assuming that that's in the cards for me soon enough. Yeah, she's a very interesting character, uh, and I and I haven't I, I right now I find that character to be much less useful than the others, but I'm I'm sort of struggling with uh, you know I go me I go tank I go healer guy and then you know do I want verse or do I want um, water mage, and I I think that verse is a little more effective, but I want to. I want to. I want to hear this water mage's story. You know, I've I've got I've kind of got versus favor. I'm I'm kind of maxed out. You know, I feel like oh, but like she's I've, Scarlet Chorus. I would assume being dis, pro disfavored because I've been a total dick to Barrick, and I love that. I love just making every choice to push his fear up. Uh, and there was even a point where I think he could have left the party. I'm not sure if that could actually happen. Uh, but I've just been a total dick to him. I was assuming you would have been the same way to verse. No, she's she's uh, I mean, she's sort of a sociopath, but, you know, it's easy to kind of when you're talking to her, you know, you can sort of tell her what she wants to hear. And, you know, you get a bunch of favor. And and, and I've, I feel like I've unlocked all of her backstory. And it's very interesting. Um, and I and I found the way that they uh, give her the three stances that correspond to her three sisters that she oh, lost. I didn't get any of that. That's they cool. No. Is that just – I've noticed late in the game fairly uh, – the little speech bubble in their icons. Is that something that you're supposed to make go away by exhausting conversation trees? It, it'll never go okay. away, but when they have something to comment on that just happened, it'll light oh, up. Oh, I've totally missed that, Olaf. So like they sometimes – like after key story sequences happen – you can and and I think you can sometimes go back to them because I didn't notice it right away either. Uh, but they'll comment on things that just happened and you unlock, uh, you know. Barrack is a I think Barrack and Verse are very well done as characters, um, but the others I haven't really dug in. Right, dug in very far. The the Beastmen character is kind of sad. She's like you know the last one of her tribe in there. Uh, I love that you the know, water mage's name is Ebb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you were saying basically you're asking me about party composition. You're finding that this party composition that you've hit on is getting you through uh, hard, and it's not been frustrating so far. Well, it, it, it started to get frustrating in Act Two, but only uh, the uh, that Leth Letharian's mm -hmm. crossing uh, to get there. You, you when you when you decide to journey there, you'll get an encounter, and then it opens up a zone later called something. I think it's called Iron Hall Crossing, and basically you meet these dudes that are the Bronze Brotherhood, and they're they're agents of the Scarlet Chorus, and they don't let you pass, and and you can kill them all and pass, but I, but I can't kill them all. <laughs> I, right. They kill me. So you're thinking maybe so, that's a combat you're not supposed to win yet that you're supposed to avoid. Uh, yeah, that's that's my uh, take, but uh, it, it feels like it might be winnable, but uh, I don't know. It's it's definitely the most challenging combat that I've that I've had in the game. So I've kind of done, 
I focused on the other side of, uh, you know, the basically the the mission that uh, your boss sends you on, where you're, and I'm assuming you got the same mission where you know figure right, out right. who's Turin, the main guy, the main, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. And so Graven Ash has me going all over the place, uh, trying to find his daughter and also trying to lift the edict of That's storms. That's because he won't even talk to me. I don't, I don't know how they're going to do the story stuff there because I was just totally like anti-disfavored pro-Scarlet Chorus, anti-disfavored, like every single choice. So, you know, I've got the same thing from Turon. Hey, investigate, find out what's happening with all these people. And even the little quest says something like, even though Graven Ash won't talk to you, you're going to have to figure stuff out. So <laughs> I have no idea how they're going to get me through that part of the storyline. Yeah, I don't. And uh, for the other part of it, I don't. Uh, I don't even know where I would talk to um, the Scarlet right, Chorus right. guy. Like, I, I don't even know where he's at. Uh, that, and that's one of the things that I, I love that Obsidian does is I just get the feeling that they, you know, with their choice and consequences, they let you range far and wide through their storyline, uh, for for better or worse. You know, people are going to get very different kinds of uh, narrative experiences out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, go yeah, ahead. That, and th- yeah, that that's one of the things that I loved about Baldur's Gate too so much was that, uh, as far as I know, uh, it was one of the first games, maybe the first, where your NPCs had you know they had agendas, they had they right. had backstories, and they had, and if your deeds and 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 actions lined up with theirs. You could, uh, you know, learn more about them, and sometimes they would attack you, and sometimes you would, you know, you could sway them from one alignment to another. I thought yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, there are two. I'm having two issues here. Also, the difficulty level. I don't know how I'll deal with that. But there are two issues here. Um, I am so. It so takes me out of a game when I have to do uh, cupboard raiding in order to. You know, get equipment and get consumables and stuff. You know, raiding uh, drawers and cupboards from people's houses and just crates and barrels <laughs> sitting out in the open. Uh, I hate that conceit in RPGs, and I know why it's there. I know it's to encourage me to explore and go to different places, but that's just driving me crazy. Having to walk into any area, hold down the tab key, you know, look for the blue crates or whatever, walk into people's houses, just steal stuff out of their cupboards. I wish RPGs would stop doing that and come up with something else. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see your point. In this, uh, I don't think this game is like over the top in terms of, what, you know, the uh, like for me, I hate it when there's a million things to loot because I will loot them all. This game, you know, there's not a whole lot, right? Like. So, I, I, oftentimes, combat doesn't even drop anything. Right, right, yeah. So I, I see what you're saying, and I struggle with the the other side of that is, like, I'm very bad at knowing when to use consumables. Oh, God, yes, like I hang you on, might need them later. Don't I use it, you might need them yes, later. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And, and, like, this weapon, like, and, and I've got all these gems. Oh, sell those. I'm just, I think I'm, all those just, are, are uh, vendor oh, trash, I believe. Well, I hope so, but I'm just waiting for like the late game quest where it's like, if only you had ten. Oh my god, ten you agates, might be right. You can't you. be right. No, because it's I on its own right. tab and, in the and inventory, I, and that to me says yes, yes. I, and each I, I of think them too. Right, Olaf has still, a little text at the end about oh, merchants love to buy these. Uh, 
But yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be a real. Uh, I, I feel like Obsidian would know better. If it was any other developer, I might be suspicious that maybe I should hang on to this. Uh, and I also, I'm. Well, that, I'm going to have a bunch of money well, if I do that because I've been sort of yeah, struggling. Yeah, me too. With like I'm money. seeing everybody has stuff I want to buy, and I'm kind of not buying because I'm thinking, well, I should maybe hold off. Uh, and do I buy better weapons? Do I buy the spell components? Um, yeah, I, I love that kind of channel. Like so far, I'm really liking the economy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm always hesitant. Like oh, as soon as I buy this sword, I'm going right, to find right. a better one. Oh my god, That's exactly, Olaf. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Now the the thing about consumables, though, um, and this is what one of the things I fortuitously discovered in that final combat in Act Two. I love the consumable system in that. Each character's got, I think at the beginning, you can give them more, but has three slots for consumables, and every consumable is on a cooldown. So I can't just, okay, I'm going to eat something to increase my might, and I'm going to drink something to give me a better dodge, and then I'm going to also just suck down healing potions. Like, the, the combats are relatively short in terms of the real time that they take place over. So something that lasts for like 60 seconds, that's good. That's super useful. Um, but you're limited by, A, how many you can slot. You know, you can't just go into that big old chest and eat any old thing. And B, uh, the cooldown time of them. And I love the hard choices yeah. that that's forcing. And therefore, how important it's making it. You know, if am I going to yeah. do something to defensive from the outset of the battle, or something offensive to do more damage? Am I going to give Verse poison, or am I going to help her dodge ability? Um, so I really like the consumable system. As someone who's normally super reluctant to use consumables, I've still got a bunch of them, uh, and maybe that's what we're supposed to spend our money on. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, for that last Act 1 battle, I found myself... Uh, Having each guy eat a food, which has the longest cooldowns. It's like right. 600 seconds. So I ate a food on every dude, and then I waited till the cooldown, you know, passed, and then I drank a potion, and then I rushed into the room. Oh, good call, Olaf. I didn't even think of that. Very nice. And in in your spire, uh, sort of like uh, I don't know if you got as far as this in Pillars of Eternity, but in Pillars of Eternity, you eventually right. get a right. castle. And it and it's sort of like a little mini game uh, that they really didn't do well. I think the spot the spires they really kind of cut out a lot of the fluff, but they still have some of the same concepts. And you can hire people to show up at your spire, and they will do different things. That looks like a big money sink as well. Like maybe I should save my money for that. It is a big money sink, but one of them is a is a is a cook and. Like every so, like every time you show up, they'll give you like two foods for free. Right, like right, good, right. And there's a few of them that are vendors, and then there's uh, ironically some of the expensive ones are the trainers, and I, I found the training to be really almost pointless. Because you're going to level up anyway. Have you? Have you well, all your skills level right. as you use them, and the training. You can only do five per level. Oh, I wondered what that number was. So oh, oh, but per level. But once you go up a level, pointless. it resets, right? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but, I mean you, you need like 50 to advance the skill, right. even one. So, like, why are you paying? And it's not cheap. Yeah. It goes up. The higher the skill, the more uh, – so, I, I don't know. Training seems but, well, really weird One of weird my things that I agree with you, but I was thinking maybe you're just supposed to train things that you're deficient in. Like to make up for something that's super low, so your character. And I don't know what that would be, but because it seems like you know you focus on your weapon, 
focus on your your school of magic or whatever. But yeah, I'm not sure I get where training fits into that either. Uh, so I do love, and I'm not really clear where it's going. Uh, I, I love that on that spire screen. You know, there's different spires, there's different upgrades for a spire. Um, there's a screen for edicts. Which makes me think yes. that that's something that we'll either get to manipulate or that will change. Uh, I'm kind of excited about the prospect of that because how they've set up edicts as you know basically nukes. It's 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 like uh, this super advanced weapon, like a WMD that Turan is holding over the head of everyone, and you're kind of in charge of that one early on in the game. And it's kind of like that setting the stage for these things are going to figure in later. I'm super excited to see that in the Spire menu as well. Yeah, the uh, the big bad guy, Overlord, does not seem like somebody yeah. you want to mess with. Now, were you friendly to him? Because like, I felt like, well, I kind of want this guy on my side. But it gives you options to gain wrath with Turan instead of favor. I just felt like kind of obligated to go for the favor option. I definitely told him yep. what he wanted to hear. You know, he's right. my boss. Uh, but uh, what, what do you think of of the archons themselves? Like, like he's one of them. But so, you know, Graven Ash is one, and the Scarlet Course guy, because they sort of seem immortal. Oh, I didn't get that. They, I mean, that makes sense that they're kind of like demigods or something. Yeah, because the, the, I mean, they talk about events that were like hundreds of ah. years in the past, like. The disfavored have been around for quite a while, and Graven Ash has always been their leader. It makes it sound to me like it's gonna, like, that's gonna be my my boss battle. Will be Graven Ash. Yours will probably be Voices of Nerat. And they 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 all have pretty pretty crazy. Well, and powers. I like too, Olaf, how they're introducing uh, ancillary icon uh, archons, like meeting that that yes, archon of too. shadows, that spy assassin guy uh, early on, being refer- references to someone named Cairn, who's apparently some big old tall. Earth golem demigod thing. Uh, yeah, I love the Archon system as a way to pepper personalities and heroes throughout the world. Uh, yeah, you're kind of a, a Jedi too. I feel like it's kind of an interesting idea to introduce. You are oh, like Fate Binder, whatever that word means. But you're this like adjudicator, which sets it up where Obsidian's saying, "Hey, your job is to make a choice." You know, you you can't just go in as oh I'm a like when I played Skyrim, I couldn't care less about the Civil War. I just wanted to become the boss of the Mages College, um, and they do that. You know, yeah. you're a prisoner. You can be anything you want. You're a cipher. You know, it's a tabula rasa. Do whatever you feel like. So if I don't care about the story, I don't have to care about the story. Obsidian, right from the get go, your job is to make decisions. Uh, I love that idea. I love that introduction of a character rather than oh you have amnesia and you're shipwrecked and now do what you want. Yeah, no, I did, they've done a great job with with coming up with a, a new world. And initially, you know, you you mentioned some of these introductions to these RPGs can be a little bit obtuse and not uh, very uh, intuitive as to what's going on. And I sort of felt that way just because there's so many proper yeah. nouns, like. You know, there's there's just a million of them, and uh, but they come they 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 come together. And each pretty one has a tooltip. In the way you can kind of like that as well. Like, I was like that's right. Is that again? Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yes, and it and it that system works great. Where if you forget about something or if it's something new, you instantly get you know kind of the 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 common take Wait, on did it. Pillars of Eternity have that. I don't recall that they did. But maybe they that did. just seems like such an important um, way 
as far as world building in the sense of introducing the player to the world, is just letting me at any moment check who is that. Oh yeah, that's who that is. Uh, like I think I would really miss yeah, that now playing a game that didn't have that. It seems like something I should have should remember, but I, I can't remember if they had so that or not. So then the world building, because so far this doesn't seem like your typical elves and dwarves and whatnot. This seems uh, distinct. Well, I don't know. Does it seem distinct? Like I, I it, it 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 has me intrigued enough. I think. Like I like. I, I I don't know entirely where this is going. I'm okay with the fact that it's not elves and dragons and whatnot. Uh, and I, I don't recall ever getting that sense with what limited progress I made in Pillars of Eternity. Yeah, I, I think it is very distinct, and I think you know the the ba- the big overlord Kiros Kairos, he almost feels like a, a yes. deity with the the power that he has, and his and his archons are clearly more powerful than the average uh, mortal, average you know guy in the tears. Um, I think I think they've done a really good job, better than they did with Pillars of Eternity. I, the Pillars of Eternity stuff, the whole souls fueling things, I don't know. It just didn't work for me for whatever reason. Um, it, it, it sort it, it, it sort of felt like they were trying to to kind of put in the steampunk. Ah, right, right. Machinery, you know, yeah, yeah. But but with they're not quite machines. They're fueled by souls, and nobody really knows how it works. And it just it, it just was a little bit too. Too much of a reach, but I think they've done a really good job with this game. And I can't deny, Olaf, too, that I think I'm in a place right now where I want to play a game about two giant political systems at odds with with each other. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm okay with – like, I feel like this is kind of tapping into the zeitgeist in a certain way for me that elves and dragons wouldn't do that. Uh, Yeah. Have you uh, read any of the the Black Company stuff? Olaf, I don't Cook? know any. Like I don't. I've never really read fantasy. I know almost no fantasy. Uh, is this reminding you of what, what is that you mentioned? Yeah, the disfavored sort of have a Black Company vibe. Um, the uh, the Malazan books sort of have a uh, not not to me the disfavored are sort of a mix between like a like a Roman legion and a, and the Black mm-hmm. Company. Um, but I just wondered because it, somebody I, – I wasn't the first one certainly to make that comparison. I, I think I read it over at the forums, and, and I would agree with it though. It, it does have a little bit of a black well, company vibe. it reminds me of, and this is probably a pretty facile observation, but you know, as someone who liked Game of Thrones because it wasn't crazy high fantasy with dwarves and elves, it was relatively low fantasy with political inclinations, and it gradually folds in the supernatural fantasy s- stuff – um, this is kind of reminding me of that, in that it's about human conflict rather than doodads of unimaginable power and an evil wizard getting his hands on an artifact. Uh, so from the, the same part of me that, that got stealthed into liking Game of Thrones, even though I'm not a fantasy guy, uh, tyranny is appealing to that part of me as well. Yeah, yeah I'll agree. Yeah, I'll agree. I, I think that's uh, it's definitely a, more of a low fantasy setting everybody's like their their role in the world is everybody's getting shit on and you know it's yeah it, it's it's works works well for what they've done well olaf uh i have really enjoyed finally getting to meet you i feel like you're someone i've known online and it is great to actually know you better and, and finally get to talk to you after all of these years 
Yeah, likewise, man. I really appreciate you extending this invite, and I was glad to come on and 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 talk with you and, and really awesome. enjoyed awesome. it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Olaf. Uh, listeners, you can find us on quarter2three.com. Uh, Olaf and I are routinely in the forums there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at QT3. Olaf, do you do any of that silly Twitter stuff? I, I, I have an account, but I couldn't even yeah. tell you what it is. I, I don't really do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I quickly left That's Facebook. That's the right decision as well. Yeah. So, All right. Well, yeah. thank you for joining me. Listeners, we will see you guys next week. Uh, and in the meantime, huge thumbs up from both Olaf and I for Obsidian's Tyranny. Stars at night are big and bright Deep in the heart of Texas The prairie sky is wide and high Deep in the heart of Texas The sage and